Shem Hashem, Naseh V'Natzliach, Shiur Torah, great to be back, Baruch Hashem. In Aventura at the Breslov Center, Mr. Shimon as we've had continuous miracles. We had an amazing Brit Milah yesterday for my newborn son, Ovadia. We had, uh, some of you came, Baruch Hashem, and uh, many, many others. We had a nice Shiur in it, which Bezot Hashem will be publishing, I think, later today or tomorrow. Um... And uh, now we're back. We're back to work. We've always been working, but now we're back to doing some more lectures and uh, continuing our very interesting, very lively Musar series. Uh, Musar series, I believe this is number 24. And uh, we're going to continue with the Pekia vote, but there's going to be a few things added as usual to this shiur. Aside from learning the basic pshat of the uh, the basic translation or in, interpretation of Chazal of the Mishnah itself, we're also going to deal with the world today, the world at large. As uh, many of you have seen, either if you follow me on uh, many groups that we have on WhatsApp or Facebook or Twitter or our website, bezatashem.org, uh, you know, you've obviously uh, seen this disaster that's happening at Boca Raton Synagogue right now, uh, where uh, a very big mistake is being made by the leaders to bring a not only someone that's not a uh, exactly a Jewish leader, if you will, but the number one Catholic missionary in the world, uh, in disguise. In disguise. But the interesting part about the disguise part is not so much disguise. Because if you just type in his name, Matthew Kelly, and you go to dynamiccatholic.com, which is his company, or you go to his Wikipedia, or you go pretty much anywhere on Google, you'll immediately find his bio, what he says about himself, his book called I Know Jesus, which is one of many, many books that he sells for $2, and many other things that he uh, recommends for the world at large to read and absorb and follow. And his whole life mission, despite making thirty to forty thousand dollars a lecture, uh, is to make everyone Catholic, make everyone follow what the Torah says is one hundred percent avodah zarah, one hundred percent idol worship. The Torah calls such people in the Gemara, Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page seventeen, minim. Minim are people that are machtiyah rabim, that make other people sin, other people do something that's disgusting to Hashem. And even though there are many Christians that are even people that I'm friends with, there are many Christians that I care for, the fact that they're idol worshippers does not change, just because I like them, just because you like them, just because they're charismatic just because they may be very generous or very nice. Makes no difference. The Torah has a single truth. There's no two versions of the Torah. That's what the Christians say. Which Christianity and Catholicism in essence is, in essence is the same thing. They'll obviously tell you it's different. They, you know, because one believes that, uh, that Jesus is a Messiah, but sometimes believes he's God. The other one believes he's three gods. You know, it's God divided into three Hashem Elohim. Plus he has some saints that are helping him out in case he needs some help. I don't know what kind of God needs help, but their God needs help apparently. And uh, you can pretty much do whatever you want just as long as you confess to the, uh, to the priest. Everything's okay. 
which means that as Matthew Kelly writes in his book, according to Jesus, Hitler is someone we should empathize with. And I'll bring you the sources as we always try to provide sources. We brought sources, number one, because I know that no one should ever believe me. You should believe the source, whether it's Torah source of Chazal, or it's anywhere else that we can find the actual sources. But aside from that, we need it. We need to know that everything that we're saying is not coming from my opinion. This is not a personal attack on Matthew Kelly. This is not a personal attack on the leaders at large of Boca Raton Synagogue. This is for the whole purpose of Kvod Hashem. This is only for Kvod Hashem. That's it. In Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 82, we learn about what happened in the end of Parashat Balak and the beginning of Parashat Pinchas. When Bil'am cursed the nation, but it didn't work. Cursed Am Yisrael to try to kill them, it didn't work. After, despite Balak paying him a lot of money. So Bil'am said, listen, you don't really need my curse. I can't curse them anyway as long as the God of Israel doesn't want them to get hurt. They're not going to get hurt. But you could beat the system anyway. He's like, how can I beat the system? He said, send your girls. Send your girls with the mini skirts and the tank tops. The Imadis girls, send them to the camp of Israel. Don't make sins with them. You win. Their own God will punish them. And it's exactly what happened. Balak even sent his own daughter in a miniskirt and a tank top and tight clothes. Just like you see people going around and walking around and doing everything that they are doing. That's what they did. Back then it was unknown to do such a thing. But that's what they did. In a matter of moments, Am Yisrael unfortunately started sinning. And the only time, according to Rav Pinkus, in his book, in his series of books, says it's the only time in the entire Torah that Hashem Barach punished us without a warning. Every single time Hashem punished us, He warned us first. Every single time. The only time in history He didn't warn us, not once, not twice, not a half a time, and immediately started punishing, is right after this. Right after we sinned with immodesty, and when Zimri sinned, Bepharesia in public, the leader of uh, the Shimon tribe, sinned in public by taking Cosby, one of the non-Jewish women, which they say was the, uh, the daughter of the, uh, the king, and went in front of Moshe Rabbeinu and said, look, you converted your wife, I'll convert her too later. Let me do as I please for now. What makes your wife any better than mine? I'm going to make her my wife now. He didn't want to go through a conversion process or a bed dean or anything. And he went and started sinning with her in public. So Pinchas, the grandson of Aaron Cohen, the only one who did not receive the priesthood automatically like the rest of the sons of Aaron, came in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu. And he said to him, Kvodarav, isn't there an halacha that you taught us that when someone is sinning in public like this, you can kill them? 
You're the one that taught us. And Moshe, according to Chazal, momentarily because of the embarrassment and the shock of the sin and everything that was happening, he was crying with the rest of the elders and forgot. Forgot this halacha momentarily. Hashem made him forget. Because he saw the zealousness of Pinchas and he wanted to make sure that he earns what he deserves. He earns the mitzvah. He earns the eternal diamond. The priceless diamond that he wanted so much. And he gave him the opportunity by making Moshe forget. And Moshe said, yes. Says, the one that remember the halacha shall do, shall fulfill it. And Pinchas understood that and went about his way to go kill both Zimri and Kozbi, disregarding the fact that he's most likely going to be killed immediately because this wasn't exactly some uh, old fool in the, uh, under, you know, hiding under a bridge with a uh, 40-ounce beer. This was like a president, president of a tribe. This is no less, this is no less than a president of a country. And he went in the middle of his camp, inside his tent, took his spear, and stabbed both of them while they were cohabiting. In the middle of the act. He got so scared because obviously the people came in right after that his neshama came out of his body. And Chazal tells us that Hashem was so pleased with his zealousness that he put it back. And not only put it back, but he made him, he gave him extra strength that gave him the ability to lift both of them, both bodies on the spear while pushing everyone away. No one was able to touch him or harm him. And he showed this to every one of the camps of Israel. This is what you do. This is what Hashem does. This is what you're supposed to do when there's Chilul Hashem. So the Gemara asks, in the same Masechet Sanhedrin, how is it that Pinchas, as righteous as he is, and as he gets a special bracha from Hashem Barach? at the beginning of Parashat Pinchas, how is it that he violated one of the major laws in the Torah, which is to say an halacha in front of his Rav? You're not allowed to say an halacha in front of your Rav. If your Rav is over there, you have to be quiet. Let him say the halacha. You can ask a question, even if you know it. How is it that Pinchas went about it and said, listen, I'm going to go, without asking Moshe Rabbeinu if I should go kill him, I'm going to go kill him. Why didn't he ask his Rav? Why didn't he ask his Rav? He doesn't have any honor? Doesn't have any kavod? No. Gemara says, In a place that there's chilul Hashem, there's no consideration whatsoever to the honor of the Rabbi. Because kavod Hashem, the honor of Hashem, supersedes everyone supersedes you, supersedes your parents, supersedes your wife, supersedes your rabbi, supersedes Moshe Rabbeinu. There is no consideration whatsoever 
to a rabbi when there's Chilul Hashem. And this is one of the things that people need to understand if they're watching this right now or they're watching this later. This is by no means a personal battle. Although I spent many years Baruch Hashem on Wall Street doing research and I have enough research on every one of the parties involved to write a book, the point is we'll only disclose what's necessary, when necessary. Why? Because we need to stop this under all costs. We need to make sure that 1,000 families that live in Boca Raton that are what I call comfortably numb. Comfortably numb, comfortably clueless, comfortably enjoying this world and having no consideration whatsoever that the Mashiach is around the corner because they're in the process of building the next million dollar house and buying the newest model of whatever car they want and getting whatever honor they get at Beknesset. We're comfortably numb. We care less about Ve'afta l'recha kamocha. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, when we first made an announcement of this disaster that's happening, people say, no, you should do this privately. I said, we did. We didn't just go public with the information. We have to follow Torah. This is not opinion. My opinion is meaningless. We did go private, which we'll go over momentarily. We went private for almost a week. But we're running out of time. Yeah, but you shouldn't say such things. What am I saying? It's all true. They're saying it too. I'm just stating one extra fact they, didn't, they failed to mention. The same guy that's a speaker, he's a missionary. What's the problem? Oh, and he's not allowed to bring him to a shul. Just in case you guys forgot you were Jewish, you're not allowed to bring him to a shul. And we'll go over the halachot of why. Yeah, but what about What about loving your neighbor? Whether he's Jewish or not Jewish. What about loving him? Okay, I can love him. I don't have to bring him to Bekneset. I don't have to bring him to Bekneset and I'm specifically not going to bring him to Bekneset because I love my neighbor. Because I know that his main agenda is to collect my brothers and sisters. Now since a large part of the Keilah is frum from birth, they're all born frum, with a hat already. At the Brit Milah they all had a hat. And everyone had a Kisui Rosh. And everyone is Jewish from birth. And everyone is wonderful. They have no idea, no idea what Shuvah is like. They have no idea what the overwhelming majority of Ami Sail is like. Zero connection. How do I know? I was part of the Keilah for the last two and a half years. I live there. It's three minutes from my house. It's the shul I've been going to. This is not some outside perspective and I just decided to some ambush somebody because I'm jealous of whatever reason there is to be jealous of anyone in the world. I live there. I'm putting myself on the line more than anyone else. If anyone wants to go crazy, I'm right there with my family, with my two little kids. Right there. But for the honor of Hashem, nothing matters. Nothing. 
not the missionary, not the rabbis, not the shul, not the neighbors, not the terrorists, not ISIS, not anyone. That's Kvod Hashem. So now in the Mishnah that we have today, it's Perek Bet, Yud Bet, and maybe we'll do also Yud Gimel. We were connected to the story that's happening. Who are you, Omer? If you are all the people of Israel in the Kaf Moznaim, and Eliezer ben Horkinos in the Kaf Shnia, they will kill them all. Shaul ורבי אלעזר בן ערך, בכף שנייה, מכריע את כולם. Translation, רבן יוחנן בן זכאי, is who they're referring to as he, he was accustomed to say, if all of the sages of Israel were on one pan of a balanced scale, and Eliezer בן הוקינוס were on the other, he would outweigh them all. Abba Shaul said in the name of Rabban Yochanan, if all of the sages of Israel, with even Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinus among them, won one pan of the balanced scale, and Rabbi Elazar ben Arach was on the other, he would outweigh them all. So this is a very, very short and simple Mishnah. It actually has, the, in this book at least, the least amount of commentary from the sages out of all the Mishnayot. In essence, this is an all-time battle between the sages, a debate, if you will, of what's more important. To be someone like Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, that we learned in the previous Mishnah, every single thing that his teachers taught him, he remembered. Not even a drop of water was lost. Every single drop of Torah he was ever taught, he remembered. Or, is it more important to be like Rabbi Lazal ben Arach, who's called someone that's a kimayana mitgaber, is like a spring flowing stronger and stronger, meaning, Mosif ve'olech b'derech Hashem, continues to expand on the teachings of the sages, the commentary, and continues to expand and develop the Torah into Chidushim. Not Chash Shalom that Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinus did not have Chidushim. But they're saying that Rabbi Eliezer ben Arach was bigger, in that regards at least. And the sages debate in the Gemara Masechet Orayot Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, and the sages disagree on what kind of sage is superior. They call it a Sanai, which is someone that mastered all of the subjects of the Torah, or an Okir Chaim, which is an uprooter of mountains, which is what they're saying, Rabbi Elazar ben Arach is. So in today's world, there's really no possibility for us to understand the significance of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos. And the reason why is because none of us could actually even understand 
the student of his student. Who is the student of the student? If you all remember, his student was Rabbi Akiva. Which the holy books say was the only person to ever reach the highest level of Kedusha. Even higher than Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu reached 49, Rabbi Akiva reached 50. He started as a Baal Tshuva at age 40, divorced with a kid, and illiterate. Over the next 80 years, became the holiest man that ever lived. That's the student of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinus. His student, Rabbi Akiva, one of his many, many students, he had over 24,000 students that died, and then he restarted everything with five new ones. One of those five is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, as I'm sure all of you have heard the name, he's the one that put together the Zohar. But also, one of the other interesting things they write about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is that he was able to either kill someone or bring someone back to life with just three words. That's it. Four words. He actually said one time, the living will die, the die will come back to life. When a bunch of hoodlums tried to go against him, hurt Am Yisrael, he said, oh, you'll switch. You're going to die, and the ones you killed are going to live. That's exactly what happened. Four words. Four words, a bunch of people died that are wicked, and a bunch of people that are righteous came back to life. That's the student of the student of Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos. We can't understand that. The most we can say is maybe we could say Rabbi Shimon. To understand the concept of bringing back the dead, who, they, who else do they say they brings back the dead? Hashem. This is one of his sages. He gave him a power to do such a thing. How can we understand? Today's world, no one can understand such a thing. So of course we can't understand Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinus. But what we can understand is the competing strategies of doing Kiruv, competing strategies of teaching Torah. There's a unfortunate debate about the topic where unlike the past where everyone knew there are many shitot, there are many strategies to bring back people to Hashem, there are many shitot to get people closer to Hashem, there are many different ways to teach Torah. In today's world, some decided that they're going to force the world to teach to teach Torah in one certain way, the yeshivish way. And if you don't teach Torah that way, you're banned. And this is why, just recently they came out with a horrendous letter of 16 rabbis decided to sign a letter saying that no one should listen to Rabbi Mizrahi. The number one Kiruv rabbi of our generation. No one should listen to him all of a sudden. So all of these families that have done tshuva, have their kids go to yeshiva, have converted, have changed their life, my own included, we shouldn't listen to him anymore. 
Why? Because he says the entire Torah. Not just the half that's really nice. The half that's really nice, you know, Avraham Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, the nice stories. Yeah, that's nice. But, Parashat Bechukotai, Chas Shalom, you know, no, that's quiet. Parashat Kitavo, no, no, no. We don't, we don't, we don't, we do that quiet in Beit Knesset, so no one can actually hear it. We don't want to talk about curses. We only want to talk about Hashem loves us. Okay, yes, Hashem loves us. That's why we're still alive. But if you actually listen to half the Torah, he also says that he punishes us. And if anyone wants to look at some Gemara, the Gemara, Maseret Rosh Hashanah, the same place it talks about Minim. Same place. Page 17, it says that some people, that are Minim specifically, get a very interesting punishment. The punishment is eternal. Forever. They go to Gehenom, and it says specifically in the parasha, in the, in the Gemara, that even when the Mashiach comes, and even when the world ends, this natural world ends, their Gehenom, the fire in their Gehenom will not end. It doesn't want end. This is Pshat. This is basic. This is not like some commentary of commentary of commentary. This is basic level understanding. Much, much harder Gehenom than it's hot today here. And how they shut off the air conditioner for me. Huh? It's your, it's your, job, it's your weekly duty. So I'm just trying to remind you in a nice way. Much harder. But nonetheless, yes, Hashem loves us. But he also brought the Holocaust. And he also punishes many of us. And he also brought the pogroms and the Spanish Inquisitions. And what happened during Purim and Hanukkah and the first Bet HaMikdash and the second Bet HaMikdash. It all happened. It really didn't even have pictures. As a matter of fact, there's a holiday that's coming up soon. All Jews like this holiday. Especially the non-religious ones. It's called Purim. Purim. But what's the story of Purim? The story of Purim in five words is simply the rabbis decided to make peace. So they went and celebrated with the goyim. They had a couple of drinks. They didn't go listen to a missionary, Chas Shalom. Oh, come on. Even back then, they knew. No missionaries. But they went and had a couple of drinks with the goyim. The king had a party, celebrating that the Bet HaMikdash has not been rebuilt. And he's inviting everyone to come. Six months worth of parties. Come one night. You don't have to come for six months. Come for one night. I'll even have kosher wine. Manashevitz. Come. You'll have your own kosher department. Like they have a Winn-Dixie. They have a kosher department for you rabbis. So we went. Even though one of the G'dolei Adol, Mordechai, said, don't go. We didn't listen to him. What does he know? He was only number four in the Sanhedrin. Wasn't number one. Come on, I'm not going to listen to number one. I got talk from Mordechai's number four. I didn't hear from number one, two, or three. They didn't say anything. They were busy. So number four said, 
Don't go. Eh. Number five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, maybe they said yes. So that's better than number four. So when had a couple of drinks with the goyim. And as we all know what happens next, Hashem decides to bring the Holocaust. But much worse than the Holocaust. He brings a person by the name of Hamani Machshimovizikho, who was much, much worse than Hitler. And the reason why is because Hitler, his plan and his strategy was to torture us and kill us over an extended period of time. Haman wanted to kill all of us in a single day. And he almost succeeded. For what? Not for listening to a missionary. Not for attending a missionary lecture. Not for even idol worshipping. For having a couple of drinks. But people were not supposed to have drinks with. Needless to say, what do you think Hashem's opinion is about listening to a missionary? And then people ask, oh, where was God during the Holocaust? We had a whole lecture about it. As a matter of fact, three of them. Simple answer we begin the lecture with is, He was there. He did it. Stop going to missionary lectures. So Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos was Kodesh Kodeshim Remembered every halacha, every mishnah, everything you could possibly imagine as we've talked about in the past. Something beyond our understanding. Rabbi Elazar ben Arach expanded and developed and used his own experience to explain to us how and what to do and what the purpose of life is. Even though he made a mistake at some point of his life, and the Mishnah actually mentions it. He ended up losing all of his Torah until all of the sages prayed for him to get it back. But nonetheless, these are two different mindsets. In today's world, these so-called Rabbanim that decided to go against the real way of teaching Torah, which is the full Torah, including the punishments, including the not-so-pleasing things to hear, including the politically incorrect stuff. They say, no, no, it's not good. It's too much for us. It's too much for our generation. People can't handle that. Who are you to tell me what I can handle? Who are you to decide for Ami Israel what they can handle? Why? Because you were born with a hat and a beard? Because the only wardrobe you have is black and white? Because you know a few Mishnayot by heart? Only because you got a smicha. Because you went to school for two and a half years. Or four years. Or five years. Or you became a Dayan. Where's your Yirat Shamayim? How about that? Because according to the very same Gemara that you learned, I also learned. And according to that Gemara, it says that someone was considered a Talmit Chacham. But has bad Midot... Bad character trait. A dead animal on the street is better than him. Mara said it, not me. So who are you to change Hashem's Torah and tell Am Yisrael what they can handle?
What? So they can't handle Rabbi Mizrahi, but they can handle a missionary? Because he's inspiring? Because he wrote 100 books or 20 books? Because according to his Wikipedia profile, he sold more books about Catholicism and Jesus than the New Testament. They said he's number two, New Testament one, Matthew Kelly number two. So that's, so that's better than, than bringing Rabbi Mizrahi. That's better than bringing a Baal Tshuva that has an inspiring story. It's better. That Ami Sal can handle that. So the thought process is that you're not allowed to teach to lies. It's always been taught for 3,300 years. You're supposed to be teach taught in a different way. And this is a desecration of the Torah. Because even though we sat quietly for a long time, trust me, for me, somebody like me that has the gift of gab, sitting quiet for two and a half years is a long time for me. So I think I went to, you know, I told you about the seven years of genome of physical with the health situations. This was like two and a half years of spiritual genome for me. Being quiet. Seeing a Kayla, I bring people to do tshuva, they start going to Beknesset. What do they do? They go to the Kila. Oh no, everything's okay. You're tzaddik, you're tzaddik, you're tzaddik. They start driving on Shabbat again. I beg people to do tshuva. Finally, they start keeping Shabbat, keep kosher, keep tara, keep tzniut, keep something. They go to Beknesset. No, no, you don't have to listen to your own. He doesn't have a smicha. He didn't go to the yeshiva university with me. He wasn't part of the honor roll. He wasn't part of the system. But does he say anything wrong about Torah? Maybe his opinion is not like your opinion. Maybe his life is not like your life. But is anything that I say regarding Torah wrong? They haven't found that yet. But you shouldn't listen to me. So I said, okay, so I'm not going to listen to him. And what happens? They stop going to lectures. They stop listening. They start listening to them about alachot for etrogim and alachot for thing for the Bet Mikdash that we don't have right now, unfortunately. And little by little, they get weaker and weaker and weaker, and that's it. And this has happened several times. It's enough of being quiet. The reality of it is that there are multiple ways of bringing back people to Hashem. Yes, the yeshivish way does work for some people. Yes, telling people God is wonderful and loves you all the time does work for some people. Some. But on a grand scope of things, if you look at statistics, if you look at real life experience, you ask everyone around you that's about tshuva, what and who made you do tshuva? the overwhelming majority of people must have had either Hashem beat them up or Rabbi's words beat them up. Someone had to beat them up. Something had to happen. People do not change their life because they like a story. Yes, Rabbi Akiva is wonderful. Moshe Rabbeinu, amazing. I'm not going to change my life because of them. 
Because I don't respect them yet until I start keeping what they taught. I can't connect to Moshe Rabbeinu. His face lit up like the sun. I don't even understand what that means. I'm not going to tell my wife that I can't be with her for half the month because his face lit up for half the month, for, for the whole time he was going down, during the mountain. doesn't make sense to me. Why would my wife be separated from me because of that? Why would I dress a certain way because Rabbi Akiva did you at age 40? That's his problem. That's the secular mentality. He want to do tshuva. I'll let him do tshuva. What do I have to do tshuva for? Why would I do tshuva if you tell me on your fancy podium that there's five different opinions about a single halakha? To me, all that means is that everyone doesn't know what they're talking about. Someone's lying. Someone's foolish. Someone doesn't have an idea of what's going on. And one of the guys may be right. As a secular person, that's what I used to think. Obviously, today I understand why. But as a secular mentality, which is the overwhelming majority of Am Yisrael, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80% do not even keep Shabbat, we call that secular, telling them there's five different opinions on a single halacha is not making them closer to Yiddishkeit. I'm sorry. If anything, it's distancing them away. To met to a secular person, five different opinions, three different opinions, two different opinions. To me, that means there's two different Torahs. It doesn't mean that both of them are right somehow. It doesn't mean that Shmaya and Aftalion were such amazing people that they were able to keep it together. But then when they got to Bet Shemayin, Bet Hillel, their students weren't able to. They had constant conflict. But for Shemayin, not for personality and ego. Doesn't make any sense to me as a secular person. So I'm sorry if my yelling and screaming is disturbing you. And I'm sorry if my hardship is not as heartwarming to you as you'd like for it to be. But the sad reality of it is that people do tshuva when they hear the truth. When you start telling people that Hashem loves you regardless of what you do, and yes, he punished Ami said for immodesty back then, but today you're allowed to walk around with a miniskirt and a tank top. Because we're a weak generation. To me, my friend, as someone that has an IQ of slightly above a monkey, I know, I know, that's not realistic. Doesn't sound realistic, this Torah of yours, that's all wonderful. Because life is not all wonderful. Life has hardship. Life has sickness and disease. Life has death. Like one of my students, Hashem Echem, her daughter died suddenly, got sick one day, two days later the kid died, seven years old. I try to comfort her almost as often as I possibly can. What do you tell someone? The kid died at seven years old. What do you tell them? God loves you? What do you tell them? Alachot for etrogim, alachot for sukkah. What are you going to tell them? I have another student. Just told me two days ago. His son has cancer. He's 12 years old. His bar mitzvah comes up in March. He 
What are you going to tell him? What do you think of my beard? Or do you see my video on YouTube? Or just make sure you give some staccato to the shul. What are you going to tell him? Life is hard. Life has difficulty. Life has hardship. Life has cancer. A Torah that doesn't have punishment is not a real Torah. No one does tshuva for something fake. No one. And anyone that ever did tshuva because of this nonsense, it's not because of the nonsense, it's just they want to do tshuva, they just use it as an excuse, a crutch. So the thought process in, the, in this Mishnah is that they're having a competition. They're saying on one side, Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos is the greatest. Another end is a, another side that says that Rabbi Lazar ben Arach is better. What, they need to, they have a competition, what does this say, American Idol? With a TV show, whoever wins gets a million dollars. First and foremost, it's teaching us that competition is good. It's healthy. There are different character traits that one must have in order to succeed. But of course, it all has to be controlled. Being envious in the regular secular world is a horrible, horrible disease. Because that means that you will never ever be happy with what you have. You're constantly counting everyone else's money. I would have people come to me when I was on Wall Street and constantly ask me how much money I made today. Like it made a difference to them. Or they would tell me about some baseball player or some celebrity that just signed a contract for a gazillion dollars. And I asked them, is he going to pay the $150,000 a month in bills I have? And they said no. So I said, I'm not interested then. What do I care how much money he has? Why do you care how much money I have? Envy. It's a disease. But envy in the Torah world is necessary. If you want to succeed in Torah, then you have to be jealous of a Talmud Chacham. Because that's the only thing that's going to drive you to study at 1.30 and 2 o'clock in the morning instead of going to sleep like a little baby for 8 hours. Envy is the only thing that's going to get you to open a Chumash, a Gemara, a Mishnah, or any Sefer Kodesh instead of watching some stupid Super Bowl. Even if the Super Bowl party is in the shul. You're envious of Avavadya Yosef, Zechet Sadiq Vikados Libacha. You're envious of Rav Moshe Feinstein. You're envious of all of the Gedolei Ador. You're envious of Moshe Rabbeinu. You're envious. Who doesn't want to be Moshe Rabbeinu? Who doesn't want to be Moshe Rabbeinu? Every Baal Tshuva in history probably wanted to be Moshe Rabbeinu at one point. Some of us probably thought we were. As soon as we started laying tefillin. You read some tefillin, you're like, ah, 
Me and Moshe Rabbeinu are like this. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're all holier than what they really are. So first and foremost, it says, competition is good if it's for Shemayim. You can't tell me my shita doesn't work when I have a Baal Tshuvar convert every single day. It has nothing to do with me. I just did tshuva. I haven't studied anywhere near as many years as all of these rabbis. Some of them were born with the hat and the beard already. They went to school, they went to yeshiva, they were fortunate enough to be in yeshiva their whole life. I'm jealous of them. But why does the Mishilat Yesharim the Ramchal why does the Mishilat Yesharim say that if you want to do Tshuva or you want to get closer to Hashem you're more likely to succeed by listening to a Baal Tshuva this is not me, it's the Ramchal. Rabbi Chaim Moshe Luzato, a few hundred years ago, wrote a book, what many believe was through Ruach HaKodesh. In the third chapter, he says this, in the material and corporal world, the material and corporate world operate in this way, it is the darkness of the night to the eye of the intellect and causes two errors. It prevents the individual from seeing the obstacle standing in the pathway of this world so that the fools walk confidently, stumbling and perishing without prior awareness of fear as the verse in Mishle, which is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19 says, the path of the wicked is like darkness, they know not what they stumble. So first he says, this world is obviously, this is the Alma de Shikha, this is a world full of lies. And there are many, many people that are just clues of what the purpose of life is. And interestingly enough, those very same fools that have no idea of what's going on, of what reality is, why you're in this world, the fact that you didn't come from a monkey, or if you think you came from a monkey, you probably did come from a monkey, but I didn't come from a monkey. You actually may even be a monkey. But the fools of the world, they always end up walking confidently. Chest stuck up, thinking they're tzaddikim. Not even knowing that each and every single step they take is destroying their olava. As we learn in the Mishnah in Avot, En bu Someone that's clueless will never have any Ratshamaim. Why? Because he doesn't even know what to be afraid of. In order to be afraid of it. It also says in Proverbs 14:16, the fool is filled with transgressions and feels secure. He makes sins non-stop, but he feels great. He has no idea it's even sins. The second error is even greater than the first. So it's not about the fools that have no idea of what's going on. He says this is a second type of people. Is that the darkness distorts their perception 
to the degree that they see evil as if it was beneficial and good, as if it was harmful. As a result, they strengthen themselves and reinforce their evil deeds. It says the second confusing thing that the Satan does to us, the Yetzirah, the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, it's all the same thing according to the Torah. The Gemara says he actually has seven other names, and Moshe Rabbeinu called them Ra. And he sent us a train. She usually comes at 12.30. Today came early, as soon as we said his name. Rabbi Mizrahi gets a fly, I get a train. I got a fly once. Yeah, I got a fly once. Yeah, that's what the show. I get many flies. So, he says the second strategy of the Satan is he makes you, he fools you to such an extent, he makes you think that you're doing a mitzvah. But in reality, everything you're doing is chilul Hashem. You're thinking you're helping the community. You're bringing a speaker to talk to them about the purpose of life. Okay, but he's a missionary, he's a Catholic, he's trying to convert the whole congregation in secret. But he's very nice and charismatic. You can see his YouTube videos. If I didn't know it was idol worship, I'd do it too. But he's helping the community? What is he helping them with? Build a nice gehenom? A villa? A VIP one? What's he helping them with? No, but... We'll change the topic. So what they do, not only they made it free, instead of hiding this event, after finding out that this guy's an idol worshiper, missionary, instead of hiding the event, they publicize it even more. Said, now it's easier for you to come. We'll make it free. Instead of charging you $36 to come, we'll make it free. And we'll change the topic though. Why did you change the topic if everything was fine? Why did you change the topic from the purpose of life, which in small parentheses in Matthew Kelly's head is according to Jesus, to work and life balance. If everything was so wonderful, why did you change the topic? Because the Satan tells you that what you're doing is a mitzvah, you're helping the community. It's not you that I hate, it's the sin. So the Mesilat Yasharim that convinces all types of people, whether rabbis or boors, to make bad decisions, also says, not only do they lack the ability to see the truth and perceive the evil that is before them, they also think that they can find analytical proof and concrete evidence to draw from life to support their evil ideas and their deceitful opinions. Satan is so smart, he makes you think it's mitzvah. Not only a nice thing to do, mitzvah. So what do they say? Listen, if we cancel, it'll be What Hashem? No, because uh, hatred amongst the Nations are going to hate the Jews if we cancel this lecture. But if it was someone that you just found out is a mass murderer in disguise, and he supports the Palestinians, 
for a single state solution only being a Palestinian state, not a Jewish one, you'd cancel it immediately. You wouldn't ask two questions. You wouldn't say, no, no, maybe they're going to hate us. Maybe two billion people are going to hate us. The fact that two billion Arabs hate you, you don't care about. If it was a Zionistic issue, no, we're going to cancel it. Chasma Shalom, what, he believes in uh, terrorism? We're not going to have him at our shul. But when it comes to Kavod Hashem, no, it's not convenient. It's not nice. It's not polite. Maybe he's just not really looking to convert us because you know, the Catholics are not missionaries. Who told you that? Ask the Catholic. Ask him. Ask him, what is your purpose in life? Why do they have a video by Matthew Kelly to train missionaries? Who are you missionizing? Why does the Catholic Church spend $300 million a year in Israel to convert Israelis? $300 million to you rich Americans doesn't sound like much money. Because in America, a little homeless neighborhood has $300 million budget somehow. No one has a house or food to eat, but there's $300 million going to the budget for the government officials. In Israel, $300 million is a significant percentage of the GDP of the overall economy. They spend $300 million a year just hunting Jews to get them to worship their idol worship. And we're not going to do that because we're going to take a day off. Matthew Kelly's going to take a day off. She's going to talk to us about time management. Even his own people. You look at us up on the internet. Very easy to find. Complain about him. He was invited for the very same lecture he's about to do. Chas Shalom, but he's about to do. Very same lecture. Time management, purpose of life, all this hogwash, political lingo. Same lecture. He did it in a university. And the students wrote a whole blog and report. This guy is full of it. This whole event was a missionary event. He started putting missionary music on and missionaries went to work and he started talking to us about J.C. Penney and this one and that one and everybody has to be Christian and the purpose of life is to be... This is not the first time. There's a whole multi-million dollar company about this. Well, he's going to take a day off for, for BRS. He's also expensive. That's the least of our problems. We should pay him another 40000 just not to come. Do ourselves a favor. So, in case we are not wicked, and it's just our evil inclination, it's just we're clueless, because we're born with a hat and a beard and secluded from the rest of the world. And we have no idea how real life is. And we really do believe that everything is wonderful. And there's no disease or hardship or trouble. Then the Mesilat Yasharim says, however, those who have left this prison know the truth. 
going back a few lines, the heart of this people has become fleshy and their ears heavy and their eyes covered shut, lest they see with their eyes and with their ears hear, their hearts will understand. This is all from Isaiah 6.10. It's a verse describing these people that are in essence being fooled by the Yetzirah. And then the Mesilat Yesharim says, and all of this is because they live in darkness and are enslaved by their evil inclination. So he's saying, let's say they're not wicked, they're just fooled. They're fooled because they didn't see the real world. They don't actually realize that 80% of Am Yisrael does not keep Shabbat. Or the ones that don't keep Shabbat is because they don't feel like it. Not because they have no idea that it's the worst possible sin in Judaism. They have no clue. And no one wants to tell them. Because if you tell them, that's not an approved strategy. If you tell people that wasting seed is killing 300 million souls each time you do it, that's not an approved strategy in yeshiva now. They don't teach that anymore. If you tell people that Michalel Shabbat, according to the Rambam, Michot Shabbat, chapter 30, is considered 100% idol worshiper. It's not an approved strategy. You shouldn't do it. If you tell somebody that Chazal says that if you actually kill a Mechalel Shabbat with Skila in the days of the Sanhedrin, you're doing him a favor. Because at least he won't violate Shabbat anymore. It's not a proof strategy. It's not nice. So let's say, let's just say for now, we're all naive. We're all born in a box. A black and white box. And we have no idea that the world at large is secular. The world at large is full of idol worship. The world at large is anti-Semitic. The world at large is waiting for another holocaust. Even our allies report that over 40% of America is officially anti-Semitic. Even Gorbachev came out of his hole recently saying the world is preparing a big war. Wrote a whole big article about it. Why he came out of his hole, I don't know, but apparently Hashem thought it's a good idea to bring Gorbachev back and let us know what we should already know from the Torah. The world at large is preparing for an ultimate war. So in case we're naive and clueless, the Mesilat Yesharim is telling us, because they live in darkness and are enslaved by their evil inclinations, who should we look for? How do we do tshuva? How do we get back to Hashem? Those who have already left this prison, already have overcome the Yetzirah, already have seen the Tum'ah and fakeness of this world, whether it be on Wall Street or some other nonsense of this material world, and they've overcome this prison you call world. They've overcome the lies. They know the truth of these matters completely. They are capable of advising others. Not me. And he continues, if someone was in a garden, shape of a maze, that was planted for amusement and is familiar to the nobleman. In this kind of garden, the hedges are arranged like walls 
and among them are numerous paths, confusing and interconnected, one the same as the next. Everything looks the same, everyone knows what a maze looks like. The goal of someone walking through this maze, which obviously is a parable or an analogy for life. The goal of someone walking through this maze is to reach the gazebo in the center of the garden, reach the purpose of life. One who walks along these paths is not capable of seeing or knowing at all if he's taking the right route or mistaken one. One is just going through the path, walking through life. He has no idea if he's going the right way or not. He's never been there before. He was just born, like my son, Ovadia. He doesn't know anything. What does he know? All the Torah, not he remembers it, but most likely not. So he's going to go through life, and unless he's going to be given direct instructions, he's not going to know what to do. All look the same to the observer. Someone, it's the first time he's this. Everything looks the same. Going to the mall on Shabbat, going to the Beknesset on Shabbat. Why does God care about this or this? Okay, I believe in God, but why does God care if I go to this mall? Why does God care if I wear a tank top? God, I mean, that's all his problems he has. He cares about whether I wear a tank top or not. He cares about whether I, you know, dress modestly or not. Really? That's, that's all his whole problems is me, little, little me. He cares about whether I do netilat yadayim or I do a bracha before I eat. He has a whole world to run, seven and a half billion people. He has terrorism, anti-Semitism. He has the government of Israel balagan going on a daily basis. That enough? That's enough to deal with. You have terrorists inside the government. He cares about whether I do netilat yadayim. Cares about whether I do mincha on exactly 526 or 527? Or if I pray nets, he really cares? Everything looks the same to me. If he doesn't care about this, then he probably doesn't care about that. That's how the Satan works in your mind. If he doesn't care of whether I pray at 526 or at 626, then I'm not going to pray till 9. And if he doesn't really care that I prayed at nine, you know what? I'll just do tefillin right before mincha, so I can do both at the same time, bang it out. Finish it up. I'm being efficient. I'm being efficient, time efficient. I'm doing mincha and shachrit and tefillin and everything. If I could do arvit, I'd do that also. That's what the Satan tells you. He tells you, no, come on, Sadiq. You heard a shiur Torah all the way till 1.30 in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning last night. A God can't expect you to wake up for nets. He doesn't really care that much about nets. That's only the rabbi. There isn't several pages in the Gemara Masechet Bechot about it. No, no. That's just, some people wrote it. There isn't. They don't care. He doesn't care if you say thank you that you ate. He knows what you mean. He knows your heart. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. He knows your heart. He knows what you feel. So you say thank you inside. Like... Thanks, Shem. I got you. Got you. Appreciate the bread. Thanks for the donut. He knows. He knows what's in your heart. That's what Satan tells you. Everything looks the same and short, slowly but surely we leave everything. We become completely secular. But we keep the keeper on. And that's why I have sometimes people that look 100% frum. I'm talking about 
the whole uniform. They don't even believe in God. They're so far away from the truth, they don't even believe in God. Obviously, this is not a small minority, but nonetheless, this happens. And then I have some people that have no idea why they're even in this world, but they love God more than many religious people that I know. They just don't have an idea of what He wants from them, because they never read the Torah. They're too busy being construction workers or mailmen or whatever they are in life. Too busy with life. The struggles of life. To them, everything looks the same. So the Mesilat Yashayim continues. It says, unless by prior experience and a keen eye, having been there once before, there is no way for him to know the root. Now one who stands at the gazebo sees all the paths before him and discerns the correct ones from the false ones and is capable of forewarning those who are walking through them. Take this route. Take that one. Any person willing to place his trust in this individual will reach the destinated place. One who is not willing to do this and follows his own eyes instead will surely remain lost and fail to reach it. The Mishilat Yashirim is telling you that someone already did tshuva, went through al went through the lying world, knows what that other world looks like, overcame his Yetzirah. He's at the gazebo, not that he's Mashiach, not that he's even special. All he has is life experience. He knows a few things of Torah, he knows what the truth is, and he went through hardship. Needless to say, he has 23 years experience doing, helping people do tshuva or a few years or whatever it is. He's done it. Mesilat Yesharim is saying, that's who you have to listen to. And he finishes this chapter by saying, those who rule over their evil inclination who have already reached the gazebo and have already left the path that have clearly seen all the routes before them, they are competent to advise whoever is willing to listen. We must place our trust in them. Anyone that wants to check the words after the lectures, you don't think I'm making all this up, you can see it's highlighted. Make it easy. And what is the advice they give us? What kind of kiruv do they do? Are they telling us about a all the alachot of the Bet Mikdash to help us reach the gazebo? Are they telling us about how nice life is and no struggle just as long as you pray to some tzaddik? Are they telling us that as long as we donate to the Bet Knesset or to some whatever cause they have today and whatever pillar of society we have today, we're going to be fine? Is that what he's saying? No. What's the Kiruv strategy? The Mesilat Yesharim is saying. And what advice do they give us? Come to Cheshbon. Cheshbon means come do accounting. Accounting for your sins. Come and evaluate the balance sheet of the world. Meaning your own world. Calculate where your sins are versus the few mitzvot that you do. Where do you stand in God's balance sheet? 
For they have already experienced and seen and learned that this alone, this alone, according to them, this is the only strategy. This alone is the true way for man to attain the goodness that he seeks and none other. There is no other way, according to the Ramchal. So the benefit of the doubt that I gave earlier today, that maybe some other shita works, according to the Ramchal, it doesn't work. Unless you're rebuking people and letting them know, hey, my friend, this is not allowed. You can do what you want, but it's not allowed. You can drive on Shabbat. I'm not your God. I can't kill you. Nor do I want to. But it's not allowed. It's not allowed. It's not allowed to listen to a missionary. It's not allowed to drive on Shabbat. It's not allowed to eat non-kosher, regardless of where you are. Whether it's at home, in private, or it's outside in the public, at Starbucks. It's not allowed. You can do what you want. But it's not allowed. All I do is be the mailman. I tell you the news. This is what God said. Not me. Do what you want. Consequences? We talk about those too. So the mindset that we need to remember everything by heart is good. But that really wasn't Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinus. Because if you read... Some of the things that Abiel Yezab and Holkun have said, he wasn't today's typical, simple, 18, 20 year old rabbi with a smicha that knows a few halachot by heart and can give you a dvar Torah for three minutes. When he saw that there's a drought, he implemented 13 fast days. Told the Keilah we have to fast 13 times. And when he saw that the rain didn't start again, and all of the people left the Beknesset happy with themselves about how they prayed, and he knew that there's no, nothing changed in Shemaim, meaning the prayer has not been accepted yet. He told his Keilah, have you all finished digging your graves? Because we're all going to die. They knew he wasn't some 18, 20 year old rabbi with a smicha. They knew what he meant was real. So they all started crying hysterically and ran back into shul and started really praying and it instantly started raining. said, oh, that was a real tefillah. If you read Tana Devei some of the harshest, most difficult things to hear, including details about Gehenom, are in there. That's the book. The details, some of the things that Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinov said. He wasn't your good, typical good memory rabbi. He rebuked, he told the truth, and the only thing that mattered to him in the world is Kvod Hashem. But this very same Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, according to the Gemara, Masechet Avodah Zarah, 
page 16b. It says something very scary. Tanu Abanan. The rabbi is taught in a bereta when Rabbi Eliezer was seized for heresy, for minut. They brought him up to the tiered court building to be judged. And a Roman official in charge said to him, accusingly, a wise man such as yourself should engage in these idle matters? Rabbi Eliezer ben Alkanah said to him in reply, the judge is trusted by me. <coughs> so the Goim saw Rabbi Eliezer and they accused him of going against him. Him teaching Torah, him going against idol worship, was not pleasing to their agenda. So they accused him of some false charge, planning to kill him. And one of the main people, main officials, main Roman officials, came to him and goes, somebody that's as smart as you, what are you studying this Torah for? What are you teaching this Torah for? Come, learn idol worship with us about J.C. Penny. Come, enjoy with us life, material, sports. What are you wasting your talent? You're wasting your talent in this Torah stuff, this ancient stuff. Why? And Rabbi Eliezer said to him, the judge is trusted by me. Meaning, the judge, Hashem Itbarach, I trust what he says. If he says, I deserve punishment, I deserve punishment. Meaning, if you're going to kill me, that's what he wants. It has nothing to do with you. You're just a vessel. You're just a delivery man. Just a tool. I made some type of sin, and Hashem is punishing me. But this idiot, Roman, thought that he's talking about him. He thought he's calling him a judge. That he trusts whatever he wants for him. So he thought he's speaking of him. And he said, I have control over the judges and I promise you, you're going to be released. So in essence, it saved his life. If it was you or me, we'd be throwing a party. Yesterday, I was going to get a death penalty. Right now, I'm free and the guy likes me. Ashecha. Miracle. Rabbi Eliezer starts mourning. All of his students come to him, trying to appease him. He refuses to accept any of their advice, appeasements, and pleas of any kind. No consolation could do anything for him. Until Rabbi Akiva, a student, came to him. And says, my teacher, permit me to say one thing from what you've taught me. Meaning, I'm not really saying my own thought. I'm, I'm reminding you of what you already know. Which is the very same way that the Mesilat Yesharim started the book. He's not here to tell us anything new, even though the whole thing is new. 
It's not here to tell us anything new. It's here to remind us of what we already know. So Rabbi Akiva, in his humility, says to Rabbi Elizabeth Hokinos, my teacher, I'm just going to remind you of what you already know. And he says, okay, fine, speak. My teacher, perhaps some teacher of heresy came to your hand and was repeated by you, perhaps? And it pleased you? And on that account, you were seized and nearly coerced into worshiping idols. All Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokanos cares about right now is not the fact that his life was saved. He's looking for a sin that he made and he can't find it. Look for a sin, you're going to find it instantly. If they actually write all the sins we make in one day, at least on my end, one day, I don't think they're going to have to write a new Torah. Him, he's looking for the sin he made. He can't find it. Why would God want me with all the Torah that I teach, with all the Torah that I learn, with all the students that I have, where Abiy Akiva is one of them. One of my students has 24,000 students where the least of them can revive the dead. Why would God want to put me in a situation where I'm this close from worshiping idols? That's all they wanted me to do. These Romans, they wanted to either kill me or make me worship one of their idols. And obviously I'm not going to worship an idol. So I'm going to let them kill me. Why would God put me in that situation? Obviously I sinned. So he was mourning because he couldn't find the sin. That's all he cared about. And Rabbi Akiva comes to him and he says, Maybe one day, Sometime in the past, you listen, you listen to the words of a heretic, an idol worshiper, and you were pleased with what you heard. Pleased. You enjoyed it. He told you, like the secret, if you think good, it will be good. Okay, a guy thought good, he got into a car accident. What about that guy? Secret didn't work for him? Or the guy that was the, the crackhead dealer that thought good because he thought he was going to be the next richest guy on the Forbes list got arrested and went to jail for 37 years. What about him? It didn't, secret didn't work for him either? If you think good, it's going to work good? <coughs> so he says, maybe you heard something from some heretic. That's it, heard. Not like start teaching it, wrote a book about it, brought a missionary. No. He's heard it, passing by. Obviously explaining, this is obviously showing that even to hear, to hear, to overhear something that comes from heresy is not allowed. Something that comes from something impure is impure. So this very same holy kadosh Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, which I would not be allowed to say this if it wasn't written, says this, Akiva, you have reminded me. Once I was walking up par, uh, in the upper market of Tsipori, and I encountered one particular heretic from Christianity. 
And Yaakov of Kfar Sechania was his name. And he said to me, It's written in your Torah, You shall not bring a harlot's hire. What is the law concerning making from a harlot's hire a lavatory for a Kohen Gadol? So this idol worshiper comes to him. He says, listen, it's written in your Torah that you're not allowed to use the any type of tzedakah or any type of even sheep that comes from a prostitute for the Beth HaMikdash, for anything holy. You're not allowed. It's a specific verse of the Torah. But what about if you take her sheep that she wants to give you as a koban? You don't use it for the koban. You don't make a whole celebration or nothing. No. But since the Kohen Gadol, I mean, he's still human, even though he's as holy as it gets, he's still human, so he has to go to the bathroom. Since he's not going to go back home every time he has to go to the bathroom, they have a bathroom inside the Beit Mikdash. So why don't you take the sheep, sell the sheep, and build them a new bathroom? Is there anything wrong with that? And I did not say anything to him in reply. I didn't respond to him. I didn't say anything. Can't talk to an idol worshiper. Can't. What am I going to do with this guy? I'm not going to start debating him Torah. He's saying it in the name of J.C. Penny. He's not saying it a, uh, oh yeah, I want to convert. So I didn't reply to him. However, the heretic then said to me, my master has taught me this. His master meaning J.C. Penny. My master has taught me this. Scripture states in the book of Micha, chapter 1, verse 7, For they were collected as harlots hire, and they will revert to harlots fire. Harlots hire. From which we derive, they came from a place of filth, and let them go to a place of filth. He says, listen, the whole argument behind using the sheep to go build a bathroom for the Kohen Gadol is that obviously her work is filth, so let that work pay for filth, for the bathroom. That was his logic. And Rabbi Eliezer ben Okunov says this, and the heretic's dictum pleased me. His logic pleased me. It made sense. Her work is filthy, it's against God. Whatever thing she could produce in this world, I mean, it's obviously only filth. So let her stay with filth. Even our tzedakah will support filth. Logically, it made sense. But it's against the Torah. But he said just that type of insult. He's, he's, in essence, he's talking Torah. He's not talking about J.C. Penny, a, uh, he's the Mashiach. Or he's a Trinity, or anything like that. He's saying something that kind of makes sense. But it's against the Torah anyway. But the insult to the sinner pleased. Rabbi Elizabeth Hokan us to hear about this. Like, you know, it's, it's funny. Let's say, let's say something like that. Okay. I therefore assumed that on the account of this incident, I was seized for the purpose of being coerced into heresy. Just the fact that I enjoyed it for that moment 
for that moment, made the heretic feel like I'm just like him. Put us in the same playing field. And it was specifically because I transgressed that which was written in the Torah, distance yourself from her. This is referring to a uh, Proverbs 5.8. Do not even come close near the door of her house. This is a reference to the minim, to the heretics. To elaborate further on Proverbs and what he says, in Proverbs chapter 5 verse 8, it says, Distance your way from her and do not come near the door of her house, lest you give your glory to others and your remaining years to the cruel one. The pshat here is, stay away from a promiscuous woman, don't even come close to her door, don't even put yourself in a test. Lest all the goodness, all the shefa that Hashem has given you, whether it's parnasah or anything that's any good in this world, will go to others, and your time will be spent with the cruel one, which he's talking about with the Satan himself. You're going to be in Genom and become BFFs with him. Simple. This is the pshat. But... If we look at some commentary, if you look at the Tosefta in Masechet Chulin, Perek Bet, Alacha 24, it says that it's, this is specifically not just talking about the promiscuous woman, but it's also talking about the minim. Minim means people that are causing other people to sin. Whether it's causing other people to sin by becoming Shabbat, or causing other people to sin by having them do idol worship. And it's not just causing Jews to sin. Obviously, even more so if it's causing Jews to sin, but it's even if it's causing other non-Jews to sin. Bringing non-Jews to Christianity or Catholicism is a sin from the Torah. You're not allowed to do it. And Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokeno says, Le'olam ye adam boreach min akiyor, umin kedomel akiyor. A person must always run away from something that's against the Shem, in essence, and something that even looks like it's against the Shem. From the missionary, and from one that maybe means a missionary. Maybe. Maybe. Still not allowed to be next to him. Run. Run away. Not allowed to hang out with him. Not allowed to listen to a seminar. Not allowed to watch his videos. The Yad Ramah commentary on the same verse, also on Masechet Sanhedrin, page 100b, on this very same talking in his commentary about this Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokina story that we just read in Avodah Zarah, 
says one is not allowed to learn anything from the minim, even if it doesn't contradict the Torah. Even if he's just talking to you about time management. Even if he's just talking to you about Shlom Bait. Be nice to your wife. Raise your kids with good manners. Even that, you're not allowed to learn from him. As a side note, there's a very famous story about one of the Rishonel Etzion, Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, who one time was asked to have a meeting with the Pope. And he said, there's one condition, don't have crosses in the place that you want to meet me. I don't want to see any crosses. That's all. I'll meet you, I'll talk to you, whatever you want to talk about. But make sure that wherever I go, there's no crosses. I'm not going to start bringing Sefer Torah with me to show you. Don't show me your crosses. It's a fair deal. So, they went to a house and immediately they saw crosses. They were fooled into going into the house and they saw crosses. They ran out. Got in the car and left. And Rav Mordechai Eliyahu. This is an accident. It's not on purpose. He started praying to Hashem. Hashem, if there's even a small punishment that will be given to me for walking into this house on accident, please give me the punishment here, in this world. And not even a moment to suffer for it in the next world. As soon as he finished the prayer, the car rolled over the road and off the mountain on snow. Baruch Hashem, he lived. But when everyone got out of the car, all banged up, they're all looking at Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, all injured, but laughing and happy. Laughing and happy, at least I suffered in this world for an accidental sin of walking into a house that had a cross on it. Needless to say, bringing the cross to our shul. Ma'am Asechet Avodah Zarah, page 17a, says you're not even allowed to be within four amot, about six feet, seven feet, of a church, a place of idol worship, reform shul, conservative shul. You're not even allowed to be within six feet of it. Forget about going in there. Forget about bringing them to your shul. It's needless to say. It's considered to'avat Hashem. Disgusting to Hashem. I know many people watching online will be offended. Be offended. It's not my rules, it's God's rules. So now what's the logical argument that the Ramchal is telling us they're going to use because they're blinded by foolishness and the Yetzirah. What is the logic behind bringing him still knowing that he's a missionary? Which we'll prove yet later today, Bezat Hashem. I don't know how much time I'm going, but Bezat Hashem will still have time to do it. There's two things. One, Love your neighbor. Okay, if I love my neighbor, I don't want him to go to Gainom. 
So as a matter of fact, not bringing him is loving my neighbor. Because if my neighbor has a teenage child that's typical to this disastrous of, of generation that we have today, that has no idea why he's even alive, even if he has a keeper. If you haven't noticed, many teenagers are going off the derech. Many teach, teenagers have no idea why anybody would want to be religious. It sounds like so much more fun not being religious. You can eat McDonald's, you go to Super Bowl, you can play baseball. You don't have so much homework. Sounds like fun. So many of them are going off the derech and smoking on Shabbat. And, you know, in the beginning they're secular and secret. Shortly later they become publicly secular and they come out of the closet with their boyfriend sometimes. Sometimes it happens. So we have a weak generation. So if I bring this missionary that says, you know what? Don't do anything and you're perfect. Jesus loves you. What's the kids going to do? I got to call that guy. I got to watch his YouTube videos. I got to buy his book. I know Jesus. He knows him. I want to talk to him. So yes, maybe he came to me and told me how to manage my time. Yes, I, I'm 17 years old, 16 years old. I don't really have much to manage. I'm sleeping most of the day. But maybe one day I'm going to have to manage my time. But I kind of like what he said. That God loves me on his YouTube video. So what if his God is named something else from what I've heard so far? His God sounds like so much more fun. Sounds like my kind of God. I want to go hang out with this God. Because he doesn't require anything. So loving your neighbor means you're not going to be egotistical and arrogant enough to think that you know your neighbor is strong enough to withstand the slick tongue of the wicked. Psalm 12, verse 4. May Hashem excise all lips of smooth talk, the tongue which speaks boastfully. Those who have said, because of your tongues we shall prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Here the Rambam is referring to, in Pirkei Avot, the Rambam talks about this, also refers to Lashon Ara. So people are saying, oh, maybe saying something about the rabbi, making a bad decision is Lashon Ara. But we already started this lecture by saying, in the place of this Chilul Hashem, there is no honor for the Rav. His blood is not any redder than yours. He made a bad decision. Every one of us is obligated to do whatever we can to undo it. Simple. It's nothing personal. Made a horrible decision. One of many. I've been there for two and a half years. I've just been quiet about, the, about all of them. And he's not the only one, unfortunately. Next argument is, If there's wisdom in the goyim, you should believe it. And the rest of the verse says, 
יש תורה בגויים, אל תאמין. אבל אם יש תורה בגויים, לא תאמין. If there's wisdom in the goyim, believe it. If there's no wisdom in the goyim, if there is a Torah in the goyim, don't believe it. So don't learn Torah from them. But if they have other wisdom, they know about, I don't know, space, travel, they know about time management, they know about motivational speaking, yeah, you should believe it. That's in essence the, what people think this means. It does mean that. But they forgot one small little tidbit. This does not include listening to goyim that are minim. This does not include the goy that is an idol worshiper. You're not allowed to listen to him. Even if he's Einstein times a thousand. Not allowed. One of the biggest reasons why you're not allowed is for the very same reason of why Pinchas took it upon himself to go and take the spear and take another Jew's life. Rashi and also the Tosfot of that Masechet Sanhedrin, page 82, explain that the rationale behind it was that if he wasn't going to do anything and let Zimri and Cosby enjoy themselves, then this would have given a kosher sign on his action. It would have made it look okay. okay. If we all say it's okay to bring the number one missionary in the world to go teach us something, whether it be time management, or whatever other nonsense there is in this world to learn other than Torah. Who's to say that six months from now, he's not going to be in every single synagogue in the east and west coast teaching us about time management with a little bit of poison in between called Jesus. Because we okayed it. Dayan okayed it. Why wouldn't a small little shul say, hey, listen, Dayan so-and-so said it's okay. Posek so-and-so that we still don't know the name of said it's okay. Why couldn't we just learn about some of his other stuff? He even brought free books. I know Jesus. He brought them free. What a tzaddik. What a generous guy. Amazing story in a book called Avat Chaim. They talk about a story of the original Rabbi Pinto, Rabbi Chaim Pinto. A poor man in his keilah one time found a coin. Now he didn't know that this coin apparently had some kishuf in it, some type of wizardry in it of some kind. Connected to Abu Dazara had the symbol of. J.C. Penny on it, apparently. And as he's carrying the sack with the coin in it, this is almost a thousand years ago, by the way, or 700 years ago, the story goes that he hears a voice from inside the sack, and he opens the sack, and he eventually discovers that this coin is talking. He says, if you take me out of the sack, 
you'll find a fortune today. Okay, interesting enough. Long story short, he takes the coin out of the sack, and next thing you know, he finds a big diamond. Shortly later, tells him, if you do this, I'll give you something else. And this continues on and on, and all of a sudden, this little poor guy becomes a gvir, becomes rich. One day he goes to Rabbi Pinto, and Rabbi Pinto is obviously big tzaddik, kadosh, that knows that nothing happens for no reason. So he asks him, where, where well, all of a sudden you became very wealthy? What, what happened? Kodarav, I don't hide anything from you. I'll tell you, come. And he takes him, and he shows him his palace, his house now. He shows him this fancy room, and the whole fancy room has only one little podium, and there's something in the middle, and he says, what is it? He sees this coin. He goes, that's the reason. That's my zgula. That's my zgula. What's zgula? Coin is zgula? Where the Torah says coin is zgula? He goes, no, no. This coin tells me what to do. So he looks closer into the coin, and he was a very holy man. He saw this kishuf in this coin. And he, start, he took something, he started smashing it to destroy it. So this is 100% idol worship. You must, we have to destroy the coin and you are not allowed to enjoy even one penny. One penny that you received as a result of this coin. Why? Because the Gemara Masechet Abu Dazara says multiple times, you're not allowed to ever enjoy idol worship in any way, shape or form. This is the reason why when Am Yisrael went into Eretz Yisrael, which was at that point still called Knan, Hashem said, the first thing you have to do is destroy all of the Ashur trees. What the poor trees do? They didn't protest. They weren't pro-Palestine. They didn't bring any missionaries. Why do you want to destroy the trees for? What do they do? Someone bowed to them. Someone bowed to these Ashur trees at some point, once, twice, five times, a thousand, doesn't make a difference. If one time somebody bows to them, you must destroy them from the face of the earth, and you're not even allowed to use the wood to burn for fire for it to get, to be warm. Must be destroyed from the face of the earth. The Rambam in Elchot Deot Perikhet says it's a lacha. It's a law. If a idol worshiper, a goy, idol worshiper, writes a Sefer Torah, it's a mitzvah to burn it. Sefer Torah, 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars. So you got some guy to write it. What do you care what he believes? He wrote it, wrote it nicer than a Jew, let's say. Let's say he did. Came an expert, calligrapher. Spent a year doing it. Just like the rabbi. He says the name of God. Not allowed to just tear up Hashem's name or burn it. He says mitzvah. Mitzvah meaning good deed. You go to Gan Eden for this. To burn this book. Ayotzemi tameh tameh. As a matter of fact, it also says it's a mitzvah to burn their books even if they're not connected to, to things that are contradicting the Torah. If they're idol worshippers, you have nothing to learn from them. 
the whole thing that we say, means it's a mitzvah to blot out a rasha's name, someone that's against the Shem, someone that's an idol worshiper, it's a mitzvah to blot out their names, to, to completely erase it. In Yoreh De'ah, in Shulchan Aruch, Yoreh De'ah, Siman, Kuf Nun Aleph, 151. Anyone that tells you, wow, you know what, this uh, idol worshiper's book about some self-help, this idol worshiper's, you know, uh, whatever, book about intimacy, that idol worshiper's book about time management, this idol worshiper's book about, I don't know, Pikachu and the, the rest of his friends, it's really good. It says it's really good, that's it, it didn't say... Listen, I bought it for you. I'm going to bring him to the shul. You said it's really good. It gave it a compliment. That's it. Someone that gives an idol worshiper a compliment for his work or anything he does is violating one of the laws in the Shulchan Aruch in Velotechonin. Meaning, You're not even allowed to give it a compliment lest someone would actually buy it and support idol worship. And chas v'shalom even start doing it themselves. Compliment you're not allowed. To finalize this part, we've talked to many, many rabbis all over the world. Just locally we have over 40 rabbis that are doing everything they can to stop this horrific chilul Hashem. Just locally. And when I say we, it's a group. Sometimes I've spoken to the big rabbis, sometimes others spoke to the big rabbis. So no one quote me, oh, you didn't speak, like they misquoted Rabbi Mizrahi, saying, oh no, he said he spoke to Rabbi Kamenetsky. He didn't say that. As a matter of fact, if you look at the recording, he did not say that. He said someone spoke to him. Someone from the group. After we started this whole balagan, others that are zealous for Hashem, love Hashem, and have an IQ above a monkey, joined us. Because they realized, Chilul Hashem, you're not allowed to do this. So some make calls to this one, some make call to others. If I specifically made the call, I'll say I. I called the Av Beddin of Jerusalem. Av, top, number one. Of Gidon ben Moshe. He almost started crying on the phone. And he said, if this happens, we have to put something like this on Cherem. You want to find out? Call him. Tell him your own sent you. If you'd like, I'll give you the phone number. Top Bedin in Yerushalayim. We also have letters to Rabbi Mazuz who already wrote on his website, run away from this synagogue. Rabbi Mutsapi, somebody else wrote to him, another tzaddik, said, run away from this place, not allowed to go. Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak, run away, and he actually said some bad things about the rabbi. Throw him out or something like that, I don't remember the words verbatim. 
We even have letters. I even actually spoke to the office of the Rishon Letzion, top rabbi in Israel. The office told me, of course this is not allowed. What kind of question is this? Is this a real question? He asked me if I'm joking. He goes, well, it's a reform, right? I said, no, it's an orthodox. Modern orthodox. Orthodox, modern orthodox to us, it's like we already like, we're so like assimilated and retarded, we think it's the same. He said, this is orthodox? Of course it's not allowed. What kind of question is it? He started laughing. He, like, he was upset at me for asking such a question. Five-year-old boy in yeshiva knows it's not allowed. We even have a letter I sent. Person, I, hand, I gave it. From two Dayanim, two Avbedins in America, in New York, asking nicely, please cancel the event. It's not allowed. Not allowed. Ignored. As a matter of fact, after the letter was sent, the very next day they lowered the price to zero. Dafka. Instead of hiding this event, after you find out that you made a mistake, they make it easier for people to come. Publicize it even more. Make more flyers. One of the big rabbis that I spoke to in Yerushalayim, <coughs> when I told him, yes, but they're really worried about hatred from the goyim. Like most likely I'm going to get after this lecture. I'll probably get more hatred from wicked Jews than I am going to get from, from goyim. But nonetheless, it may, means nothing to me. So I told this rabbi, big, big mekubal. I told him, they're worried about hatred from the goyim. You know, we are in America. And he said this to me. Instead of being worried, tell the rabbi, the head rabbi, instead of being worried that canceling the missionary event will cause hatred from the goyim, you should be really worried about your keilah turning into goyim. And Pirkei Avot, chapter 4, verse 5. Or Mishnah 5. And it's also in Mesilat Yesharim. It talks about Chilul Hashem. When the Goyim see a Jew looks religious, but he's a sinner, it's detested by Hashem more than anything else. More than even a, a secular Jew sinning. Secular Jew sins. A guy sees him. Like, oh, that guy's, he doesn't even know he's sinning. He thinks it's normal. Like, I remember when we first came to America, we had no idea about English. We had no idea about anything. And even the concept of things not even being kosher or not kosher was not really, you know, clueless. Went to a uh, diner, asked for a tuna sandwich. In the limited English we knew, and the guy gave me a tuna sandwich with this crackery thing on it. I've never seen anything like it before. 
this brownish cracker thing on it, on a sandwich. I look at it and I'm like, what is this? Looks interesting. And I asked the guy, what is it? He says, oh, oh yeah, it's good, it's good. I'm like, what is it? Oh, it's bacon, bacon. I said to him, what's bacon? Again, I only knew personally, I only knew the alphabet, or half the alphabet. My father knew a little English, and my brother knew a little English. The rest of us knew nothing. So my dad says, oh, it's bacon. I'm like, what's bacon? He said, you know, bacon. I'm like, what? What's bacon? He goes, pig, pig. All of us knew pig. All of us got a heart attack, practically. And he's like, why are you so surprised? Why, why are you so upset? I have many Jewish friends that eat bacon. So to him, he sees a secular Jew eating bacon. Yeah, whatever. It's... But when he sees the little Hasidish guy at the casino, or he sees the black and white bringing an idol worshiper, he thinks, ah, that's what they mean by the Torah. That's what they mean by righteous. They're no better than us. That causes Chilul Hashem, my friends. And that's why the Pirkei Avot... says that any time someone does Chilul Hashem, whether it's on purpose or by accident, in Shemaim, it's exactly the same. It's judged exactly the same. You made Chilul Hashem, desecrated Hashem's name by accident, or you did it intentionally. Same thing. Shows how disconnected you are from Hashem, whether it's on purpose or not. And for Chilul Hashem, for anyone who doesn't know and hasn't been in our shirim to talk about punishment, part of the punishment is serious, serious suffering. In this world, not just the next. In Avot de Rabbi Natan, in regards to the same verse that we talked about earlier in Proverbs 5.8, it says you're not even allowed to hang out with the minim. You're not even allowed to be next to them. Even if you're confident in yourself not to fail, either because you're smart, tzaddik, dayan, chacham gadol, or you're just saying, listen, I know God's real. Leave me alone with this nonsense. I'm confident. It says you're not even allowed even for that. Because it's written in Proverbs 2.19, All who come to her don't return, nor do they attain the paths of life. Chazal explains that those that go so close to idol worship, eventually they fall for it. Either they get weaker in their connection to Hashem, or Chas Shalom become idol worshippers themselves. Like a dear friend of mine who is a rabbi, Rabbi, Tzaddik, tells me you have no idea how much we have to stop this. I said, yeah, I know we have to stop He goes, no, no, you have no idea. I hate it more than you. I said, you hate idol worship more than me, maybe, but why? I mean, I know why I hate it, but why do you hate it? He goes, it's a rabbi. It's my father. I fell for a missionary. A rabbi's father fell for a missionary. To this day, he's idol worshipping. 
So he says those who come close to her, and we talked about before that her means the minim, the wicked idol worshippers, the heretics, don't return, nor do they attain their paths of life. And the paths of life, Chazal explains, means that they end up losing all of the shefa, all of the wealth, money, success, all the prizes that Hashem wants to give them. For the goodness they brought into this world, they gave some tzedakah, they gave some chesed, they did some kiruv. He wants to give them things. You listen to idol worshiper, he has to take it all back. And then people ask, why does the Holocaust happen? Why do we lose money? Why does the stock market crash and a lot of Jews lose money? Why does Bernie Madoff, Imach Shimon, have to happen? Stop bringing missionaries. To finalize it all, for anyone who's still unsure, when this disaster first started, as you all know, this has nothing to do with my kavod, my wisdom, my nothing. If Moshe and Aaron said they're nothing, then I'm less than that. Not as a compliment, but as an insult. But I spent 16 years on Wall Street. My job was to find red flags. That was my job. My job was to find either a red flag that made an opportunity that everyone is missing take advantage of it on the upside or a downside. Meaning, I either found that there is a possibility that something is worth a lot more money than what it's worth because everyone is missing something. For example, a forced merger or some type of acquisition or a patent, anything like that. Or I would look into the books and see that the company are cooking them. They're lying. They're lying about their numbers. The CEO is really a thief. He doesn't have a degree like he says he does. He's lying on his resume. Things like that. My job was to find red flags. That's what I do. My wife is even better at it than I am. As far as research is concerned, personally I think she's the best there is. Nonetheless, when I saw this place... offering somebody with promoting this guy coming in the picture he didn't exactly look Jewish to me or like a rabbi I said okay interesting who's this guy and I'm very very busy so I said oh, I just counted as a reminder for myself to go look into him at some point just interested of who they think is appropriate for the rabbi because I ran into a different flyer that they had and I obviously didn't attend any of these lectures where I saw that there was some other unwelcome guests at the show a few months before, which I'll talk about momentarily. So I said, I'll promise myself to actually look at it at some point. Anyway, eventually I did. My wife did. We just looked at our basic, just to see who this guy is, what kind of work he does, what kind of books he sells, what's his spiel. 
And also, I'm a speaker, so I appreciate other speakers. If he's a good speaker, I appreciate other speakers if they're, if they're monotone or if they're charismatic or if uh, they're intelligent and so on and so forth. I like to listen to other speakers just for the sake of listening to his, not necessarily the content, but rather the, um, just to see if, you know, how someone speaks. You know, you fluctuate your voice and so on and so forth. So, moments later, we started finding disaster after disaster. And this is how it started. January 23rd, 2017 at 3.10 a.m. I wrote an email to Rabbi Goldberg saying the following. Anyone that wants the copy of all this, I'd be more than happy to forward you all of them. I'm praying that this is simply a huge oversight that can still be stopped before it creates a huge destruction to our people and a desecration of the name of Hashem Barach. After doing much further research, it's concluded with absolute certainty that this Matthew Kelly is one of the top missionaries for the Catholic Church in the world. To bring him here is not only Chilul Hashem, but it's putting over 1,000 families at eternal risk. Here are some of the proofs. Included, I provided him multiple links and a snapshot picture of my proofs that this guy is not only a typical Christian, Catholic, nice or not nice guy, but rather proof that he's actually actively missionary. First thing is, I, gave, I provided a three-minute video promoting his book. Three minutes of his book. If you can handle listening to the name Jesus a hundred times in a matter of three minutes, listen to this book. It's unbelievable. I've never, I've never heard anybody say the name so many times. Then we go into his website, his real company. It's called dynamiccatholic.com. Rediscover Jesus. Another one of his books, another one of his topics, another part of, big part of his mission. Then you look at the Wikipedia I don't have a Wikipedia, but he does. Apparently, he's very, very successful, which is good for him, but unfortunately, very bad for the rest of the world. Because you could even see in his Wikipedia, it says he sold more books about Christianity than any other book except the New Testament. If that doesn't make you sick enough, you just go into his personal site called MatthewKelly.com. You look at upcoming events, and you see all of this. Now, just in case, you say, nah, Catholics don't miss a nice. Come on. Why are you so fanatic? Why are you so crazy? Why are you so accusing? Okay, so you just go to his website. You go to dynamiccatholic.com, and you take a snapshot of one of the comments by Alan Wesson, W-E-S-E-N, from one month ago. So don't you think it's old, one month ago. And he says the following. Coming into the Catholic faith at 27 from the Jewish faith provides me with a slightly different view from the forest. I believe for most Catholics, being a good Catholic is simply head-focused. Going through the motions or observing the performing and rituals we've learned growing up I think this is awesome. Do I need to read more? Is it sickening yet? Is it missionizing yet? This was sent. And the end of the email says, Hashem Yerachem. Same email I'm sending to Rabbi Goldberg. Hashem Yerachem, 
This is Sodom and Gomorrah and Chorban Bet HaMikdash that's being brought to our holy Jewish people at BRS community. Now in a case this is an accidental oversight, please do announce the cancellation of this event immediately. This was before anything went public. Before we put it on anywhere. The appropriate way to do things is assume and give everyone the cuff scoot that they're making a mistake. The fact that he learned so much Torah in his life became what they call Talmud Chacham. You have to give honor. You have to give respect. And as a matter of fact, even if he was an ignoramus Jew, you still have to give him benefit of the doubt, which I did. I didn't do what he did actually to Rav Mizrahi, which is without even consulting with him, wrote a letter against him with 15 other rabbis. No, we don't do things like that. Number one, because it's against the Torah. Number two, it's just bad ethics. But nonetheless, we tried doing our best. We sent this letter. Response. Was sent the next day. Thank your own. Thank you for your concern. Kelly speaks on religious issues we are, which we are obviously not bringing him for. And is a general motivational speaker as well. For example, his best-selling book, by the way, remember the sin I just told you about a few minutes ago? His best-selling book, and he gives me the link as if I'm going to buy it. Seven Levels of Intimacy by Matthew Kelly has nothing to do with religion. The end. That's, I gave him sources that took me hours and hours to find and provide and copy and paste and show and this. And, and honestly, the stress of this monster coming to our community should have at least warranted some more appropriate response. But this is what I got. No problem. He's a busy rabbi. I responded. I responded for more details, nothing happened, so I have sent another email on the 24th. I said, have you reviewed the material that I sent you and considered the fact that someone would stay in touch with him and thereby be led or misled to idol worshipping of the Catholic and Christian church? Even if there is a 1% chance of that happening, are you really willing to take that chance? Let's say you have a thousand families in the Keilah. This is several thousand people. Let's just say 500 to a thousand show up to this lecture. Out of the thousand people, one guy, one little 15 year old, little, you know, self doubting yid with a quarter looking, you know, coat keeper, likes the guy, thinks he's charismatic, says, I'm going to email him like they do me a thousand times a day. Like they do any speaker that has any charisma or perhaps speaks anything of sense. And sometimes no sense. They email you. They text you. They call you. They try to meet you. They come to your lectures. Let's just say a little quarter keeper guy says, I like this Matthew. Maybe he's a tzaddik nistal. It's a hidden tzaddik. And lo and behold, they connect 
they befriend each other, and we lost a Jew. Are we willing to take that risk for one Jew? Forget the thousand, or ten thousand, or the fifty thousand that will be influenced by this. One. This was not responded to. So I sent another email. Rabbi Goldberg, I have not heard back from you and really hope that you're not taking this huge risk lightly. I am only trying to remind you of what you already know, but perhaps have had a moment of forgetfulness due to your busy schedule. At this point, I still have respect for the guy. As a rabbi who speaks publicly, he speaks publicly at a shul and other places, they welcome him and so on. As a rabbi who speaks publicly, you're very well aware that the connection with the crowd only begins at the lecture. As a professional speaker for over 15 years in business and then Torah, I have seen lectures lead to a very long-term relationships that have changed, that have been life-changing. If this lecture happens and the Jewish people of BRS and Boca Raton at large connect to him, this can lead to more assimilation and even conversion of Jews to Christianity, even though obviously it's not valid, nonetheless, people think they become Christians. Some may think that I'm being a fanatic or extreme, but I have more experience in this field than anyone, as I was once part of the fallen. Before Hashem showed me His mercy by putting me through seven years of Gehenom, that turn into Gan Eden, Baruch Hashem. I beg you to please, please, please cancel this lecture immediately and remove the unbearable risk from our people. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Anyone who knows even a little bit about my story can understand what I mean. If everyone's been sleeping at the wheel because their life has been just grand without any hardship and they've never seen missionaries at work, they've never seen Jews attend church like my student who got tagged by a missionary over 40 years ago and just realized that Judaism is real after being married to a Goya for 45 years and now he can't divorce her. He loves her. He's with her for 45 years. But she's not interested in converting. What's he going to do now? A nice missionary did us the favor. After he didn't reply to this email, I sent another one. I got an email from somebody else who asked Rabbi Mutsapi, one of the Gdolei Adol in Israel, and asked him his opinion about this, and I told you his opinion was obviously, according to the Torah, you're not allowed to listen to this person, you're not allowed to attend the synagogue, you're not allowed to do anything involved into this thing, support it in any way, not even allowed to comment it in a 
positive way. So I showed him this writings from Rav Mutsapi, much bigger rabbi than he is, much bigger rabbi than I could ever be. One of the students of Rav Tzion Abashol, the student of Rav Tzion Abashol. And I showed him this. I said, Rabbi Goldberg, I just received this from another BRS member asking me what I think about the missionary that's coming to BRS because he saw this online. It looks like my concern is not just my own, as some other people from here had had a similar concern by sending it to Rav Mutsapi, which I only heard about but don't know. I don't know, I don't know Rav Mutsapi personally, I just heard about him. I've seen a few of his videos, but I, you know, I have no connection to him or anything. Have you considered my words in a previous email? Please advise it to your decision about canceling the event, Bezat Hashem. So far, fair enough. At 2.14 p.m., I got the worst reply you could possibly get. Your own. We won't be canceling. I appreciate your concern, but he is coming as a motivational speaker and nothing more. That is clear to him, and that will be to the audience. Now, anyone that's read a little bit of Gemara knows that you're not even allowed to learn from a rabbi that has bad midot. I'm not talking about, obviously you're not allowed to learn from an idol worshiper, we've just talked about this for two hours. But even if a rabbi has bad midot, not allowed to learn from him. So there's a story of Rabbi Meir Balanes, one of those greatest sages that ever lived, one of the students of Rabbi Akiva. One of his other rabbis, Elisha ben Avuya, went off the derech, went crazy. And he continued to learn from him. So a bunch of rabbis, you know, they, what are you doing? You're not allowed to learn from somebody like that. He says, yes, I, I know how to decipher. I'm at a level, I'm able to decipher the good and separate the nonsense from him. And still many went against Rabbi Meir Balanes saying it's still a mistake. You're still not allowed. So apparently Rabbi Goldberg believes that his entire kila of a thousand people are bigger than Rabbi Meir Balanes. None of them will be affected by this Matthew Kelly. So my last email was this. This is terrible news. And I'm sorry to hear you clearly do not see the risk your decision is putting the entire community in. Due to these circumstances, I cannot allow myself or my family to be part of such a sin and an outright desecration of the name of Hashem Barach and request to cancel our family's membership from the Boca Raton Synagogue effective immediately. In a place where there is Chilul Hashem, there is no consideration for the Kavod of the Rav. Masechet Sanhedrin, page 82a. The email was responded a few hours later at 7.22 in the morning, and he copied his team, Matthew, the overseer of the synagogue, apparently the guy that organizes everything, Philip Moskowitz, the uh, number two rabbi in the synagogue behind uh, Ephraim Goldberg, David Shabtai, which is the rabbi for the um, Sephardic Keilah, 
with one word, understood. The end. And that was it, my friends. I found out that I have no choice and I need help. We started praying, we started publicizing, we started doing everything we possibly can to make sure that the world at large, at the very least, if we could stop one person from attending this lecture, we will. But many people took this to heart and are helping in every way they can. I even had one guy, Rav Zitron, Tzadik from New York, went to Israel and he went to Rav Kanievsky's. Rav Kanievsky, Gdola Do. Okay, he doesn't get bigger. Rav Kanievsky right now, number one. He asked this question. Same type of response I got from the Rishon Letzion. Obviously they didn't write letters yet, which we're working on, because no one wants to take the word. The Rav Kanievsky is against Abu Dazara. You know, Chas Shalom, you know. Or Rishon Letzion. <laughs> no one wants to take our word. Everyone thinks that we made this up. Like everything I just said for the last two and a half hours, I made it up. It's my own halachot. I became Moses. He asked the office of Rav Kanievsky, he said, what kind of joke is this? Of course it's not allowed. You're not allowed to even have him in the synagogue, they said. Inside the synagogue. As a guest, as, a, as anything. Not allowed. It's considered a mean. Now, if I told the Kayla everything I just said, many of them are going to bash me as much as possible. You are this and you are that and you are this and you are that. But one thing I do know about this Kayla, some of them are very nice people, and some of them suffer still to this day because of the Holocaust. Family that died, even themselves sometimes suffer, there's still some Holocaust survivors in there. So if I told them, that there was a certain speaker that's pro-Hitler. Pro-Hitler. They'd cancel the event immediately, right? Logically, I mean, you're a Jew, even if you're not religious. Somebody says, listen, Hitler, decent guy. Anything positive about Hitler and Machimo, it's not a good thing. Not for a Jew, at least. Kvod Hashem, not so much. Hitler, okay, so let's just see. Let's just see some information from Matthew Kelly's work. Matthew Kelly. In his book, he writes this, in preparing to write this book, I tried to take a fresh look at the Gospels and all the people in them. Excuse me for reading all of this garbage. I have to for the purpose of proving my point. I was hoping to rediscover Jesus by rediscovering the people he interacted with. The thing that fascinated me f about the Pharisees, as I, discovered, as I rediscovered them, was that they always accused Jesus of blasphemy. By the way, Pharisees, for anyone who doesn't know, is a derogatory term for Jews. This was their big hang-up when it came to Jesus. To blaspheme is to speak of to blaspheme is to speak of God in an irreverent, impious manner. In essence, he's calling Jesus God. The paradox is that the Pharisees were in fact the ones blaspheming. 
in the way they spoke to Jesus and about him. Now, in case you don't believe me that Pharisees means Jews, let's continue reading. There were others who even mocked Jesus. The soldiers mocked him, hail king of the Jews, and spat at him. Quotes Matthew 27, 29. Can you imagine mocking God? Again, calling Jesus God. Okay, let's continue somewhere else. In case we didn't create enough anti-Semitism by the first part, let's create more anti-Semitism in part two. In his other book, he talks about it must have been an incredible experience because Paul would suffer tremendously for the rest of his life as a result of his belief in Jesus. The Jews tried to kill him because he publicly taught that Jesus was the Son of God. Great, tell people about Jews doing bad things and come to our synagogue. Great job, buddy. Tell, tell, us, tell, tell us more things that we did. This is, again, in another one of his book called Rediscover Jesus, an invitation by Matthew Kelly, page 86. As a matter of fact, anyone who doesn't know, Paul was actually the one who caused the rise of Christian anti-Semitism. Next. In Rediscover Jesus, page 38, Matthew Kelly says this, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. By the time Jesus, by the time of Jesus, these had evolved to 613 laws. In essence, he's saying we changed the Torah. The simplicity of Jesus' teaching was radical in contrast to the stifling effect of these 613 laws have on our daily life. Oh yeah, I want this guy talking to my teenager and telling him the 613 commandments are stifling. Yes, great motivation. We're going to bring us back to the derech quickly this way. Okay, let's continue. Rediscover Jesus, page 47. What is he saying? Meaning he's talking about Jesus. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to love Emperor Nero, Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, and child molesters, and pray for them. I'm reading verse for verse, as I didn't make this up. I, even if I was crazy, I wouldn't make something like this up. This teaching is so radical that when we really stop to think about it, our chest gets tight, the airways to our lungs become constricted, and we find it hard to breathe. Oh, yeah, Jews at Boca Raton Synagogue and everywhere else that want to accept Matthew Kelly. You need to love Adolf Hitler. Good job. You are a righteous Jew that way. Your grandparents will be so proud of you. Okay, next. Page 188 and Rediscover Catholicism. We move on to another book. Jesus Christ, born 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, is not a myth or a legend, but a well-documented figure in history. But more than that, he is the Messiah. So now he's changed it. He was God before, and now he's back to being the Messiah. He like switches. Switch, like you switch pants, he switch roles. He is the Messiah, who has been prophesied in the Jewish scripture, our Old Testament. It's their Old Testament, it's not ours. Our Old Testament, and long awaited by the Jewish people. Thank you for the insight. 
Originally, the event at BRS was called Passion and Purpose, led by Matthew Kelly. Matthew Kelly invites us all to identify God's voice in our lives and the specific purpose for which we've been created. This was on the flyer of Boca Raton Synagogue. No one found anything wrong with it, apparently. We're going to learn God's voice in our lives and the specific purpose. Why? Because it was pitched as if this guy is like uh, some motivational speaker. I can't really say Tony Robbins because he's also an idol worshiper and he also mentions Jesus in his lectures. Just lay into them. If you go to like the seminars and you go deep into it, it starts talking about J.C. Penney. So, whatever, this guy was pitched as like, you know, motivational. This guy is going to be, I don't know, teach you how to sell, teach you how to live, teach you how to be happy. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to do something like this, but he's going to teach us about God too. Okay, so everyone got fooled into this. But interestingly enough, his phrase, become the best version of yourself, wasn't originally that. Matthew explains the history of the phrase in his book, Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic. In his earlier talks, he noticed that when he spoke about the Second Vatican Council, Universal Call to Holiness, the eyes of his audience would glaze over. People weren't really that interesting in that term. It wasn't marketable. Then one day, purely by accident, he instead used the phrase, become the best version of yourself, and found that people started to become animated and engaged. So he continued to use the expression in his talks and books. To become holy, to become a saint, is the same thing as to become the best version of yourself. To become all that God calls you to be. It's not pop psychology. It's just plain old Catholic teaching with a shift in language. As a matter of fact, he likes this best version of yourself so much that he trademarked it. And he also trademarked Universal Call to Holiness. And by the way, Universal Call to Holiness means to him, Christ is the light of the nations. Hashem Yerachim. And as I told you before, he went to a campus to promote being a better you. And this is what they wrote briefly. According to Kelly, everyone, regardless of religion, must answer the question, who was Jesus? Mr. Kelly was asked what he thought about the problem of evil. He responded by saying, suffering is part of the human experience. Christianity is the only religion that explains suffering. This is what he says, this idiot. Catholicism is your path to become the best version of yourself. This is again, quoting people, not me. And in case anyone thinks I'm exaggerating about his fees, you could just go to keynotespeakers.com, put his uh, information. He used to charge $40,000 per lecture plus demand a, um, a uh, first class ticket and, you know, and, and so on. Now I think it's $30,000. He got a little cheaper because he sells a lot of books. So he sells enough books to make up the other 10000 Or for whatever reason, it's 30000 So apparently someone, whether it's BRS or the Jewish Federation that's co-sponsoring this horrific Hilul Hashem, 
someone is paying a ton of money for us to be fooled by idol worshipping. Great. Now, it's convincing enough. Now, in case anyone says, okay, fine, this is a one-time error. Apparently, I myself was asleep at the wheel a few months ago. Because again, I generally, I'm very busy, I travel a lot, and I'm just not involved. If I, any synagogue that I go to, I go, I pray, I leave. I'm not involved. I'm not an involved person. I have my own thing that I do. So apparently I missed this thing where on November, the weekly of November 15th and November 25th, we had another APAC event. APAC is a big supporter of Israel, apparently, and uh, many of the people in the congregation are members of it and so on. Okay, great. Congratulations. Israel needs as much support as possible as long as it doesn't go against God. Unfortunately, it is funded by many Christians and idol worshippers. And uh, what ended up happening is that we invited some of them to the shul. So on the weekly of Parashat Vayera, if you look at the weekly, which you can go on the brsonline.org website, and you can find the archives of the weeklies. Um, and you can see, actually, this was not the first time. As a matter of fact, in this weekend, we had a panel. A panel of Israel supporters that just happened to be evangelical Christians, the number one missionaries on the planet. By the name of a, uh, let's see, Oscar Bryan II, Stephen Marin, calls himself a Christian Zionist, activist and advocate for Israel, William F. Callahan, and it's moderated by Ed Miller. One of them is actually local financial advisor in Boca Raton, a very, very passionate Christian missionary. And they had a whole panel on Shabbat. On Shabbat. Kila. Thousand people show up. I obviously didn't go, but I'm assuming at the very least 300 to 600 showed up, maybe more. Panel. They had the floor to talk about how much they support Israel. The problem is no one sees through the lies, and excuse my language, the BS... To see that, yes, of course they're supporting Israel. They're trying to convert all of you, you idiots. But all of us are comfortably numb, supporting this Chilul Hashem. And then we ask, Hashem... Why don't you give me Parnassah? Hashem, why don't you give me a Zivug? Hashem, why am I sick? Hashem, why does my wife not have any patience for me? Hashem, why does my husband so cheap? Hashem this, Hashem that, Hashem this and Hashem that, and we constantly ask Hashem why he does this and why he does that, and where was he during the Holocaust, and where was he during the pogroms, and where were you when Chilul Hashem was about to happen? What did you do? You, sitting, watching, attending. What did you do when Chilul Hashem was happening? And I have a lot more material to make five other lectures. About personal people, about 
all types of other things that no one else knows. But we're going to leave it at this. Because again, this is not personal. This is about Kvod Hashem. Where is your Kvod Hashem? That you're inviting idol worshippers and violating and desecrating the Torah. Where is it? How can you look in the mirror and say it's okay? Are you more confident than Chazal? You're better than them? You could do better than them? You're more righteous than them? Are you just comfortably numb? Where you're enjoying this world so much that instead of thinking about the Mashiach being around the corner and the world, world at large is a disaster, you don't really want the Mashiach to come. You just want to continue extending your kitchen. Continue remodeling your house. Continue raising money for some other Save the Cat Foundation. Where is your Kvod Hashem? I don't care if you're a rabbi, you're a dayan, you're a, a small rabbi, a big rabbi. None of that stuff matters to me. Only thing that should matter to any of you is Kvod Hashem. Now this is part one of the lecture. If it has to, it'll get worse. If it has to, it will get worse. Because in a place that there's Chilul Hashem, there's no consideration for Kvod Arav. Yes. Let's keep it, I told you before. Let's keep it off of. He did bad things in the previous, it's not his first time. I understand. Let's keep it. Anyone that wants to find out more information can find that on their own. This is purely Allah. This is purely Torah. So that way they can't say, oh no, it's a personal battle between Rabbi Mizrahi and Ephraim Goldberg. Or Yaron Ruven and Ephraim Goldberg. It has nothing to do with it. Aside from the fact that he made a disaster of Achilu Hashem by signing that letter against Rabbi Mizrahi, aside from the fact that he blamed Rabbi Mizrahi before even Rabbi Mizrahi even knew about this. Before Rabbi even knew, Rabbi Mizrahi even knew that this was all happening, he was already blamed for doing this campaign of going against this whole thing. And on top of it, he writes, listen, Rabbi Mizrahi had a debate against a Christian professor several years ago. What's so different about me bringing Matthew Kelly? He's comparing Rabbi Mizrahi destroying Christianity, which has caused many Jews to do tshuva, many non-Jews to convert to Judaism, or at the very least leave Christianity. One of them is in the crowd. I just met him today. He saw the debate for the first time, and he says, obviously I know that Christianity is nonsense, he left it, and right, Baruch Hashem, and now he's in the process of converting. He's right here. Watch the debate. I didn't plan this. I never knew him before today. Apparently he's been watching my lectures for a long time. So he's comparing Rabbi Mizrahi, doing a huge Kiddush Hashem that no one's willing to do really, except maybe a couple of other rabbis, like Rabbi Tobia Singer, Rabbi Skobak, but the way Rabbi Mizrahi did it, he destroyed it. Better than anyone else, in my opinion. He's comparing that, fulfilling the mitzvah of abusing idol worship, insulting it, destroying it, that Kiddush Hashem, that mitzvah, he's comparing it to bringing a great white evil shark to a bunch of little sardines that have no idea the shark is there. What is this like? It's like somebody saying, listen, 
I'm a tzaddik. I'm a tzaddik. I'm going to bring more fish into the tank. And he keeps bringing more fish into the tank. And he brings more fish into the tank. He's like, look, I'm feeding them. And I'm feeding them. And they have divrei Torah. And they have lectures. And they have daf yomi. And they have this. And we have synagogue. And it's a fancy synagogue. And we have a holocaust center next to it. And everything is great. And wow. And then next thing you know, after he fed them, and everybody got really fat and comfortable and, and, and lazy and comfortably numb. What does he do? He brings the great white shark. It was better off. You didn't build the community. Just don't bring the great white shark. Where's the Kvod Hashem? Where is it? What God do you believe in that you think it's okay to bring an idol worshiper? Where does it say it? Where? Show me the halacha. Show me one real posek. Name the guy. Name the posek. Name two poskim that said. You said two poskim said. Well, I found out one of them. And he said it's only bidiyavad because you already made a mistake that maybe you allow it. But the reality of it is he doesn't know the size of the mistake. Because according to the article that was written as a rebuttal for everything that we're doing, even the article misquoted everything. I know how to write also. I wrote some things in my life. I know the power of speech. I know how you can twist words. I fought the government. I fought major multi-billion dollar companies. I fought individuals. I fought everyone. For the first time in my life, I know for sure I'm right. Because God said so. Where is your Kvod Hashem that you're bringing an idol worshiper to teach a bunch of clueless Jews that are just sleeping at the wheel? Scared to even respond, yeah, I know, I'm just not going to go. I know you're right, your own. I know you're right. You're a great person, Rabbi. But I'm just not going to go. Okay, but why can't you speak out? Yeah, but I, you know, I'm going to cause problems for my kids. They have to move. Change yeshivas. People are going to look at me funny. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to cause any problems. I already bought the house. You know, we just, we just, we just expanded the house. We just redid the kitchen. We have a bar mitzvah coming up in two months. Everyone is so comfortably numb. They don't want to destroy their lives and disturb them. But asking Hashem for a bigger house, another house, more kids, lema, a cure for cancer. They ask, like one of the rabbis, Moskowitz, asked for. Not too long ago, a year and a half ago or so, he had cancer. God gave him a cure. You can't say thank you by kicking this guy out. Saying, Matthew, thank you by no thank you. When Goldberg and family got all their kids, Baruch Hashem, they told us a story of unfortunate experience. They had a pregnancy. But when he gave them more kids, and you cried on stage and told us, you can't give them a little bit of thank you back? So what if you spend money? So what if your honor is destroyed? So what if you look stupid? Better live a lifelong of stupidity in this world than one minute of being a shy in Hashem's world. One minute. Where's your Kvod Hashem? What God do you believe in? He also claimed that we did fake, he said fake news and we made up stuff. He claimed that we're lying. Everyone can see that it's not fake news. He knows that he's wrong and he's not going to give up. Point has already been made. The point has already been made. Everyone knows the facts. Everyone wants this information. You can email me. 
You're more than happy to send it to you. You can look it up online yourself in case you don't trust my sources. You want to look it up. I provided the websites. Call Matthew Kelly yourself. Watch his videos if you can handle it. In reality, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. But for the purpose of destroying this whole thing and hoping it doesn't happen, we had to. We used even non-Jews for help as much as we can so we don't have to be tainted by this Chilul Hashem. Please, cancel the event. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.